was that what drove you, Bob? As far as your writings mainly is just making that connection with people on a different level. Uh, to some degree, uh, I would add though that really, honestly, you know, for me, it really came about as you know, growing up around it. I tended to be quite honest with you, take it for granted. I mean, you know, there was always somebody around me or somebody in the family that was doing it. So I never really felt an obligation or felt a need to, to feel like to be the, you know, the spokesman or the advocate or anything else because, you know, when I was growing up, Vaughn Plot was still alive. Uh, Bill Plot, his son, you know, took over later. Larry Plot's nephew, you know, was still going strong. Bud Lyon was going strong. I mean, mm. all these guys were doing just great things were doing, you know, and so to me, it was kind of like, you know, okay, I, I, I'm a part of it, but I don't, you know, these guys have got it covered. And then all of a sudden, those guys either got, either died or uh, got out of the game for whatever reason and or got too old to do anything. And uh, then along about in the early 90s, I had my own first child, my son, and I started realizing that nobody had really told this story, you know, that there was, was 10 different versions of the story in the uh, MPHA, first MPHA yearbook of the, of the breed ordinance, 10 different versions. And all of them were pretty dramatically different in the same yearbook. And wow. uh, so I thought, well, God, you know, we need to try to get to the bottom of this and try to find out, you know, as much of the truth as we can. And, and it's a great story. And and so originally, I just really, when my, when my son was born, I wanted to uh, kind of document some of the stuff just to pass on to him and to other family members mm. uh, and with no real in, intentions at all of, of of doing a book, you know, I mean, and, and I never would have done a book had it not been for George Ellison, a real good friend of mine who's a renowned writer who just basically twisted my arm to do it and got and, and got the publishing contract for me. And it had not been for him doing that, we probably wouldn't be talking today. Wow. That's, that's really cool. I did. I hadn't realized that you had written, <clears throat> I know you had dedicated this, your strike and stay you had dedicated to your son you're right 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 um so i i, and, I picked yeah. up on that but i didn't realize that, that he was the main motivation behind you writing that that's uh that's really cool how old, because you back i don't mean to interrupt but how old was your son at the time that you wrote that book bob uh well he was by the time i actually wrote the book i started i started doing document i started really preparing Again, hadn't intended to write a book per se as much as just documenting things and trying to get stuff in, in line and photographs and, and different things like that, mainly just to pass on to him and to pass on to other family members. And this was, as I said, in the early 90s, so this had nothing to do with, you know, there was no plan for a book at that point in time. Mm -hmm. So uh, he was born in 93, so... Uh, it was, I guess he would have been, let's see, uh, 13 maybe when, uh, when the book first came out. And, wow. uh, so, <clears throat> so, but, you know, but there was probably, when I say when it first came out, that was in 
I guess it had been closer to 14, but it came out in 2006, 2007. But I'd actually been working on it. <clears throat> Excuse me. I'd actually been working on it for, uh, with, you know, I had a contract under con- a publisher's contract for about a year and a half, two years before the, you know, the book came out. So, uh, so, you know, when I really started knowing that I was going to rewrite the book, you know, specifically with him in mind, he was probably 12, I guess. Wow. That's really cool. Is it? But, 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 but like you said, I mean, it was, or like I said, it was just really, you know, that was a big, big part of it, but it was also a part of it was just, I just wanted to get, try to get the story straight and. I had talked to so many people like Bud Lyon, who was still alive and, and very active at that time, still mm-hmm. hunting at that time, who who really encouraged, you know, really wanted to see this happen. And um, and a lot of other people, too, but Bud was a, a really, really strong influence and, and, and mentor because he had basically taken over for Vaughn uh, when Vaughn got too old to do it. And then when you know, Bill Plott, Vaughn's son, decide he didn't really want to do it much anymore than Bud became the kind of the, the torchbearer for the Vaughn plot line. You know, and other people did too, because Vaughn had sold his dogs to all over the Midwest and, and uh, a lot of other people had them. Mm-hmm. But, you know, that's been a common misconception too. Bud was one of the few people, the one of the only people that I know of that, that really tried to, to continue line breeding and, and really tried to keep that bloodline pretty close to what, you know, Vaughn had stayed with all those years because you hear hundreds of people say, well, you know, I started out with Vaughn Plot dogs, and they probably did, but they outcrossed them so many times later, and that's fine. I mean, they produce great dogs. I'm not being critical of that at all, but mm-hmm. but uh, in doing that, they 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 lost a lot of the original stock that he had. And, and don't get me wrong, you've got to that, – getting into a big long dissertation about breeding you've got to you've got to freshen up that stuff some every now and then but if you stay true to it and do it the way he did it and not line breed and not inbreed the two different things entirely mm-hmm. uh, you'll have good results mm-hmm. i think and again that's not my opinion that's to, that's what von plot believed and that's what people before him believed and that's what all my ancestors believed and that's what bud believed and that's why all that was passed on to me. So I take credit for none of it. You know, this is not something I came up with. It's not something I originated. It's not something that um, a concept that you know I formulated in any way. It's uh, it's kind of like Ira Jones told me one time. He said, you know, it's it's up to us. Just not wheels not broke. You don't need to fix it. And uh, you know. We inherited something, and we just—it's up to us to perpetuate it. And that's right. the way I've always looked at it. Right. That's uh, it—it's it, got to be an interesting. I mean, did did anybody else in your family have that same feeling at some points in their in their in their lives where they they had this the, they realized that they were the historian of of this thing. I think I think a lot of people uh, say a lot. I think a few people did. I mean, there's a few people in my family that were are just like really good genealogists who who can sit there and tell you who your double second cousin is, but <laughs> not many people. Yeah, not not many people. And I mean, I salute them for doing that. Don't get me wrong. I mean, it's it's a talent I don't have, 
but my interest has been totally on the dog side of things from the get-go and I think there have been certainly um, multiple uh, plot descendants who have been interested in doing probably what I've done but either they just didn't um, have the didn't want to put the work in to do it or they didn't want to didn't have the time or the desire or uh, you know, for whatever reason, you know, because it, it, you know, I mean, it takes a lot of time to do a lot of this stuff. I mean, if you're going to do write and do programs and that sort of stuff, I mean, you got to give up a lot of personal time and you got to, uh, you know, really spend time researching it and doing it the right way. Or I think you do, and and so I think that over the years, you know, with the, I'm not going to name any names because I don't want anybody to feel insulted, but you know, I know there's been several relatives who, who um, uh, you know, thought about doing it and perhaps even tried to do it, but stopped just because they, and in one case, Larry Plot, for example, I will mention his name because he was a great, great historian and his, and his, his father, Sam was a great historian, uh, both former military men. Uh, mm -hmm. but you know, they never really were able to do a whole lot with it. Larry probably would have, but he unfortunately died of cancer at an early age. And uh, and Sam was just of the generation. He was in World War One and World War Two, and he was just, you know, he, it was more of a regional phenomenon at that time as, as opposed to a national phenomenon sure. as it is today, so, or even worldwide phenomenon. So, um, so I think, you know, you had folks like those people that did a really good job with it and really, you know, really kind of laid the groundwork for a lot of stuff that I've done. So I give them a lot of credit too, but they didn't really get to finish it uh, for, for different reasons, live it out of their control. And then you had other folks who just, just again, and I won't name these people because again, they would feel insulted if I did, but there were other people who decided, well, I'm going to try to do this and then decided it was just too hard or, sure. Uh, and then there were people, and then there were people too that were burned by it. I mean, you know, when when I first started working on the book, uh, there were some people, and I mean, I'll be honest, brutally honest, you know, there were some people in in my family who who supported a hundred percent, and there were some people in my family who were like, you know, we've been approached by people who did this sort of thing before, and we got burned by it, and you know, even though you're a plot, and even though you're related, is I'm going to write a book. I'm going to write it myself. So screw you. And, uh, right. and, but I can tell you this, every single one of the people, and it wasn't many, it was only a handful that did, but every one of those people after the book came out, came back and apologized to me and, and actually helped me, you know, really offered to help with the, um, other stuff, projects and stuff that I did. Right. But before that, you know, it, it was it was pretty much I was a lone ranger at that point. You know, um, and there, and don't don't get me wrong, that's a huge undertaking. Well, it, it was, and it was, and it was so. Like I say, so many people have so many um, ulterior motives or hidden agendas, and I didn't because I mean, you know, I, I wasn't, you know, I didn't, I wasn't selling dogs. You know, I wasn't hadn't written anything. I mean, like I said, I, I, I had worked for. 20 plus years already, in, you know, in different types of jobs. So, I, you know, I, I certainly didn't do it thinking I was going to get rich or that I was going to be able to 
that that just never was the the purpose. Right. Yeah. Well, I mean, you uh, can and, see and in your book I, too. You know, I've I've read that book probably eight times at this point, and um, you know, there's if there's one thing you're going to use a if you look for it, you're not going to be able to find it. It's the author beating his own drum. I mean, you're not. Uh, it, it it's a book that covers the. There, there's so much information there, but there's almost no information about you or what you do or, you know, a, a couple of mentions of your relations that the, you, the author, you know, you kind of make the connection that the author is a part of the family. But, um, you know, that was something that I certainly appreciated about it. Coming from, you know, my, my education is in, is, as a historian, I appreciated that aspect of it, that there was not a, hey, look at me aspect um, to that book. Well, and, and I, I appreciate you saying that because that was really intentional. I mean, it was intentional for two reasons, too. Um, it was intentional because I think as an historian, you have to separate yourself from that if you're going to tell an accurate story. Mm. And, 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 I, and I tried to, I tried to, not only tell an accurate story, but you know, there were, I, I tried to keep it entertaining too, from the standpoint of, you know, there are some plot and tall tales in there too, you know, and I tried to make sure those were were identified as that to a certain degree, but uh, but they may, I'm sure there was some truth to them too. So, but the other reason that I tried to to separate myself from that is is I think that you know. As I said, I think I, I think I said this in the in the introduction, if I recall correctly, but or somewhere in one of the books, you know, I didn't want this to be about me. Um, I'm not. I'm never claimed to be the best anything. You know, I mean, there are plenty of people out there that are better hunters than me. There are plenty of people out there that are better, I'm sure, breeders or whatever than I am. But uh, you know, but I don't think there's too many people that have put forth the effort that I have to get things accurate and uh furthermore i would add that i've always taken the angle and i think it's the right angle and it's something you don't see too much of today anymore is you know if if i write something that is proven incorrect i will and and it can be substantiated i will acknowledge it and i will correct it myself and will thank whoever um pointed it out to me because to me, that's part of being a historian. That's part of being a good writer, not not taking the bullheaded approach of, well, I'm right, and by God, if I wrote it, it's the truth. Right. Well, you know, right. it, it should be the truth if you write it. But but if if you make a mistake or if somebody can come and prove something different, then, you know, you should be man enough or big enough of a person to say, okay, gosh, I didn't realize that, you know. Um, and... You know, and, and, and nothing, nowhere has that been more uh, personified than in the uh, the buckskin issue, which we probably don't even want to go into here. But uh, <laughs> you know, but, but, <laughs> oh, we do. I don't know if you want to, but that would be an interesting episode on its own. I was actually going to ask you, yeah. prefacing it with, the, we can delete this if you don't want to talk about it. But I was actually going to ask you about the buckskins. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's, it, you know, it, 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 it's, uh, you know, for me, it was just, you know, the more I researched, well, you know, I mean, I, I go back to sitting on Vaughn Plot's front porch and him talking about it, you know, and him having buckskin dogs and him 
showing me pedigrees and him talking about, you know, the 5% of, of all his purebred dogs had always thrown buckskins or, or Maltese dogs, or, you know, and, and, uh, and it, it was not, you know, it was not common, but it wasn't rare. I mean, it wasn't, it, you know, it happened. And, you know, and, and some of his buckskins were great dogs, little George Plots. Some of the dogs on the 35, 1935 Ricky Hunt were buckskins. And yep. I've documented that in my, my other book. So, so these are all things that are easily, easily documented. And, uh, and for whatever reason, be it, you know, political motivation from standpoint of breeders trying to promote their own lines or, or whatever, which I don't even want to get into, but uh, uh, people just refuse to accept that. And, and the whole concept of how it was changed in the first place was just a joke. I mean, you've been told over and over over the years that there was this big, i got to be really careful here, but it's the truth, that there was some big legitimate campaign done to uh, a club vote to take place to make this change and it just didn't happen it, there was a magazine ad put in a few magazines and readers were asked to to submit their feelings toward that and if you were lucky enough to see the magazine and lucky enough to fill in the survey then your vote got counted and if you didn't it didn't so right. were, Vaughn Plot was still alive then Gola Ferguson was still alive then Taylor Crockett was still alive then all the guys who had been instrumental in the breed uh, Isaiah Kidd, not going on, we're all alive then, so why didn't they just go to those guys and ask them? Right, the authorities. About it, or right. Look at the actual registration mm-hmm. papers, you know? But instead, they just pushed us through and got it done. And then later, the same people who did it literally went back and said, you know, we shouldn't have. Yeah. And we don't. And by that time, they were too deep into it, and egos got in the way, and uh, it just they just wouldn't change it. And, you know, a lot of people fought it for years and years and years. And I remember talking to a, I won't name his name because he, would, well, I've, I've named it in writing, but I won't name it here. But a notable UKC representative told me, he said, you know, he said, there's something like 17, 18 American purebred dogs that are, um, uh, have buckskin as a, as a coat color. And, um, and, the plot hound is the only one that is not recognized to the UKC because of the, the campaign against it. And he said, you know how, you know how dumb that makes you guys look? And <laughs> this is what a UKC guy told me. Right. And so, right. so, you know, but again, I, you know, I don't want to harp on this too much because, Hey, the end result is they changed it. And, uh, God bless them for doing it. Uh, uh, it took way too long. I didn't think I would ever see it in my lifetime. It took them long enough, yeah, for sure. Yeah, and uh, and 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 quite frankly, you know, the UKC did that. I mean, there was not a, 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 a no club made that decision. APA was already, you know, had already it, it was chartered as a buckskin organization through the APA, but but no other club uh, uh, went along with it. And still, a lot of them still don't. So, uh, but, you know, but thank goodness the U- UKC did, and uh, and I'm glad they did. And, and I hate, and I hesitate to even bring it up because, you know, my point right now is I don't even really want to talk about that much anymore because it's done. 
finally it's yeah. done and you know and and i and i really don't want to you know be a uh uh you know we got enough problems in the, the dog world and the hunting community without <laughs> being our own worst enemies or 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 creating you know uh division amongst us but Absolutely. you know but the truth is the truth mm-hmm. and 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 you know and and to me something as simple as that uh, and I mean, you know, and I've got great friends, great, great friends who I totally respect who, who, you know, we've just had to agree to disagree sure. on this topic for years. And I, and, and I totally respect them for that. But I've got other people who literally have, have sent me death threats over it, you know, uh, uh, that are that stupid. So isn't that uh, insane? You know, so, I mean, you know, it, we've hit that point. <laughs> Yeah. So, yeah. So, I mean, so when you get to that level, it's like, okay, you know, it's, it's because I've always been respectful to people. I've never went out and just said, you know, you're a stupid idiot if you believe this. And here's why. I mean, I've just tried to say, okay, here's why I believe this. You know, tell me why you don't. Right. And the closest thing I could ever get to an argument was, well, I'm just trying to do it like the old people did it. And I'm like, well, then clearly you don't know many old people because this is how the old people did it. <laughs> you know, here's, Here's a handwritten family pedigree that I own. Here's a here's the first dogs registered UKC registrations that were buckskin dogs by plot family members. Right. So, you know, show me what you show me what you got. I've got the registration papers. Man, that right. is wild. I'll give you the numbers. I'll bet your library and like just all the family artifacts is something to be seen. You know, luckily you shared an, yeah, a it, bit in your books, but I know I. I had first talked to you, Bob, years ago, um, the mentor of mine who really got me rooted in hound hunting. Uh, I wanted to do something for Christmas for him, and I found out that you did your wood carvings as well. So I I contracted you to do a walking stick for my hunting partner. And, and that was kind of my first interaction. Oh, yeah, I forgot, I'd forgotten all about that. Yeah, it's been some yeah, time. Yeah. It's probably been... Let's say six, seven years now. Um, yeah, I, was, I, I had forgotten all about that. Yeah, he's still got it. It's it's leaning up in his corner there. Um, he doesn't well, like good, using it because he says it's too good looking. <laughs> well, that's that's, that's great. That's, that's good. That means a lot. Oh, for sure. It was uh, what I appreciated is I could just pick up the phone and call him. You know, you were always. Uh, very very pleasant you know happy to help you know you you had the time in the day unlike a lot of guys who are good at their craft it seems like they've always got something better to do and i know bear and i have talked about this before the podcast is we've been lucky enough to have a couple of interactions with you over the years to where you know you always make the person you're talking to feel like they have your attention and you're it's a real conversation. So I know we've been really excited for this podcast. For sure. I mean, I don't think either of us slept hardly at all last night. How much sleep did you get there? <laughs> well, I didn't get much sleep last night. No, for sure. Cause you know, as, and, and it's the truth though, because you know, if anybody who thinks that you are, you're out there just trying to sell your own dogs, you know, you, you and I, we connected before I was even considering getting, into hounds i had been running sled dogs for years and years and i just happened to i had pneumonia and happened to stumble upon your your book 
read your book and just sent you a message just because I enjoyed the book. Right. I remember that. Yeah. And it was not until year, it was not until a couple of years later that I even started to seriously consider getting into getting into hounds myself. And, you know, you were just such a wealth of information and so welcoming and such a pleasant guy to talk to anyway, even before I got into hounds that it's, it was, I always appreciated that so much. Um, well, you know, I, I appreciate your kind words, Bear, and you too, Jason, but the, the truth of it is I just always look at it as a learning opportunity. I mean, you guys have taught me a lot too, you know, I mean, um, stuff that Barry, you know, you've told me about, you know, hunting regulations and I think you can only hunt with what, one or two dogs in Norway, something yeah, like that. One. <laughs> One, yeah. So I mean, so man, to be able to do that, and and I mean, you know, you got to know what you're doing, and so I got a lot of respect for that, and and uh, uh, and you know, and Jason, what you've done out west, I mean, uh, you know, I mean, I say it all the time. I mean, the plot hound would have been a regional phenomenon if it had just been my family involved, and it is people like you guys. And people like other people that are not plot family members, like you know Taylor Crockett, uh, Isaiah Kidd, uh, you know Charles Gant, list goes on and on and on of people who you know perpetuated the breed that were outside the family that made it into a that gained worldwide notoriety. And so you know without folks like you guys, you know we wouldn't it wouldn't be what it is today. I mean, it's just that simple because let's face it. I mean, there's not, I mean, um, there's a whole lot of plot family members still alive, but there's only a handful, very few, very, very, very few that own dogs and do anything with them. And fewer still that, that, uh, that, you know, care anything about researching it or, 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 you know, um, perpetuating it. So, um, so you guys deserve a lot of credit. I mean, I, I tell this story all the time, and it's true. I was doing a, a, a school program, and it was probably 200, um, roughly, I'm saying, maybe 150, 200 people in that school program, and and there were, and this included teachers and and the school county school superintendent was there that day, and 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 kids are a tough nut to crack, you know. What I mean, when it comes <laughs> to programs, I mean. Their attention span. You got to be careful. You can't tell them some things, you know. It's, you know, and, and so you always have to be, uh, you know, kind of on your toes. And for some reason or another, the night before the program, I started trying to think of some way I could kind of grab their attention a little bit more. And so, just out of curiosity, I just sit down from memory and just wrote down A through Z. Just went through A through Z in my mind through the alphabet of names of people starting with A going all the way through Z, who were not related to the Plot family or not directly related to the Plot family, who had played an instrumental role in the perpetuation of the breed. And just in a few minutes, you know, I had jotted down something like 150 names, you know. Wow. And so I just stuck the, folded the paper up, stuck it in my pocket. So the next day, I'm doing this program, and it was middle school kids mostly, and and so there were a handful of them there. It was actually the program was here in Jackson County, and and so there was, was being in the mountains. There were some kids that actually had dogs, and some kids actually hunted. But 
but more that didn't, a whole lot more that didn't. And uh, so I wanted to try to find some way to get, you know, really capture their attention. And I said, you know, I said, I'd like for you guys to, I'm going to read these names. And if any one of these names is your last name, or if you're related to anyone by this last name, I'd like for you to stand up. And don't sit down until I'm through reading all the names. So I went through the list, A through Z, read all the names off. And by the time I've got through reading the names off, every single person in the auditorium was standing up. And wow. so, wow. and they were, they were kind of looking at me like, well, you know, some of them got it right off the bat, but some of them were kind of looking at me like, well, what the hell's this got to do with me? And I'm like, well, <laughs> you know, my point here is, is this is your story as much as it's my story, because every single one of these people you're related to had something to do with making this breed famous and making it the state dog in North Carolina and the, the having historical markers and being a UKC registered dog and an AKC registered dog and all the other accolades that the dog has won over the years. So you and your family had something to do with this as well. So this is your story as much as it's mine. And that's really what I've tried to 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 uh, emphasize uh, in everything I've done because, like I say, without guys like you, you, both you guys and you guys are two prime examples. You know, we probably wouldn't there would probably wouldn't be any books. There wouldn't probably wouldn't be any more articles or programs or stuff that we do. So, uh, so I thank you guys. No, oh. I hope someday we can uh, do something half. As- Influential, you know, because I, 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 <laughs> I'm sitting here thinking the same thing. I, I, I hope, I hope in 20 years I can look back and be like, well, I, I did one of the things that Bob did. <laughs> <laughs> it's interesting though because, you know, I really appreciate all the time and dedication. You know, my uncle before he had passed had put together a couple of books, and my aunt's an author. Um, God, I don't even know how many books she has. Well, you're a good, you're a good writer, Bear. I mean, you've done, you've done, you've done quite a bit of writing. Yeah, I, I've done quite a bit of writing. Um, you know, uh, quite a bit, quite a few articles. Um, you know, I was I was involved with with dog sledding for about 25 years um, before I I started getting into the hounds and kind of made the transition over to the hounds. Um, you know, and I <clears throat> th- that's kind of why I. I'm kind of in awe of some of of what you've been able to accomplish and what you've been able to do at the same time as working full time and, you know, having a family and all of the stuff, you know, most of the articles that I wrote, I've written, it's felt like it's taken a solid time commitment. And you're, I mean, you've got, correct me if I'm wrong, you have a book coming out here pretty soon together with your son and that's your seventh, sixth, seventh book. Six that's been published, yeah, and there's another one that hadn't been published, but six, six published, yeah. That's unbelievable. I mean, I, I, I have a little bit of an idea of how much work it takes just to put together a usable article and to put together that many books on top of eight, seven, eight thousand word articles in addition. It's just, I don't think people fully appreciate how the amount of dedication that takes. No. Well, it, it, and I appreciate that because, and it does. And the the truth of the matter is, is it's a juggling act because, you know, you do want to be able to, you have to be able to, to, to 
devote time to your family. You have to be able to devote time to your job. You have to be able to devote time to your dogs. And, and you know, invariably something's going to, you know, um, lose out. I mean, mm-hmm. if, if you're going to, if you're going to do this much and for me, and particularly as I've gotten older, um, it's, you know, you have to make choices and you have to make decisions that, okay, what brings the most value? Um, you know, I, I've had people, and I mean, and I, and I get what they're saying. Don't get me wrong. But I've had people saying, "Well, you know, you, all this time you spent doing this, you could have spent that much more time in the woods hunting, or you could have spent that much more time in the woods, you know, breeding dogs and whatever." And that's true. Uh, but at some point, you have to say, "Okay, what's the value here? Um, is right. it more valuable to the dog world and to the hunting world?" For me to go hunting four more times this year or is it more important for me to do 10 more programs and write a book or do 12 articles right. um, so to me to me and i sound i hope that doesn't sound egotistical because i don't mean it for it to no not at all um but because for me it's just like okay i can go out here and tree some coons tonight or i can go out and and, and treat some bears during bear season, and that's great. And I enjoy it, and it's fun, but so what? You know, I mean, is that is that helping, you know, advance what we're trying to do? Is that educating anybody? Is that helping, you know, promote mm-hmm. things? Mm-hmm. To some degree, yeah, but, but not to this level. And, and for me, the real satisfying thing is, is that when I go out and do a program or a book signing, probably 50% of the time or more, probably more like 75% of the time, the people who are there are not hunters. And matter of fact, a lot of times people come in there really prepared to attack me for supporting hunting. And then when I sit there and talk reasonably to them and show them why it's important and why it's a part of environmental, being an environmentalist and, and promoting ecology and taking care of things, uh, they walk away from it going, oh, wow, I hadn't thought about it that way, you know. And, and like I tell them, like, look, you don't have to hunt. You don't want to hunt, that's fine. I'm, I'm, I'm cool with that. But you should support the ethical people that do mm-hmm. because they are doing, and you know, they're doing the environment a favor, and they're doing you a favor because they're keeping things in balance, you know. Yeah. Now, no, yeah. you know, hunters can be their own worst enemies and have been, and, uh, you know, yeah. I, I'm not going to support you know, unethical hunters and the things they do and the stupid things they do and how badly they, they treat their dogs and that sort of thing. You know, I won't know part of that. Mm. But my point is, is that I think, you know, you've got to sit there. In my case, what I had to do was say, okay, what's the real value here? Uh, is it more valuable for me to do this or to do this? And, it, and, and, and you know, and, and again, <laughs> some of it, comes out too as you get older you know when i was when i was 30 years old it, it was a whole, a whole lot easier to, to, to chase dogs than it is when i'm 64 years old you know so um uh so that makes a difference too you know i mean there's been times in recent years where you know i've come out of the woods and said if if i can just get out of the woods today i'm never going back <laughs> uh, you know it's, 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 it's been that bad you know but uh, but there's been other times, you know, where it's been great, and of course, even when it's been bad, you always end up going back. So, you always end up but I mean, but back, I know sure. the day. Yeah, 
but I, but I, but you know, but I, you know, I know the day's coming when that won't happen. And I can remember when I was a young, real, real young, I and mean, when I was a boy, you know, just a kid, you know, seeing some of these older guys and hearing them say, well, you know, when I get too old to do this, I don't even know that I'm going to keep dogs anymore because I just, I just, you know, don't, don't know if I can stand it or not. And, mm. and, uh, and, I, I couldn't understand that at all then, you know, but I do now. Yeah. Uh, now, I, that being said, there'll never be a day as long as I'm breathing, I won't have a dog. I mean, I can tell you that right now. But uh, but I can totally see some of the older guys, you know, were like, you know, I just can't, if I can't chase them, I'm not going to have them, you know. Mm-hmm. And uh, so, uh, so I, 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 I get that, I do. But it's, you know, for me, it's like I say, it just kind of comes down to priorities and, I think as you know, as I get older, there's probably got to be some more priorities decided upon. I mean, I'm probably going to have to decide, you know, there's less of this and more of that, or vice versa, and and just and do it and live with it, and know that I'm going to take criticism for it either way. But uh, uh, but that's okay, you know. I, I I think you know whatever I do, I'm going to do what I think are the right reasons, and uh, just you know focus on that. Well, and that's, I think you hit it a hundred percent on the head is with the word value. And I think that that word is very misunderstood by a lot of people. Um, like you said, that if you go out hunting four more times, I mean, yeah, that's great for you, but at the impact that you're making, and I mean, there's hound guys across the world that do it at their own scale and any capacity that you can show value I think is really important to what we do and the continuation of our hunting and our heritage, because, you know, you talking to that school class, I I can only imagine what the impact would have been there. Can you bear? (laughs) I mean, like. I got chills kind of when you talked about it, like everybody standing up, it was like, Oh man, I I sort of saw where they saw where the uh, story was headed and kind of gave me. Right. Gave me the heebie-jeebies a little bit there. It's like, wow, man, that's intense. And for me, like, I can kind of sense that because when I got into dogs, I had zero clue that I ever had a family member involved in it. Um, I was several years in, literally at bear camp with a group of guys and found out that some of them had hunted with my great uncle. You know, so now I'm hearing stories and things like that. And then I find out my great grandfather had hounds on the other side. So I I remember those specific moments. And I think that being a kid in that class, I I can't imagine, you know, like that instant, hey, we were part of something and creating that overall 30,000 foot view of what it takes to make the world to go around and the hound dog world is no different it mm. takes everybody contributing what they can it's just I, we got to hold I, ourselves to a standard and and make sure that we're forcing that continuance i think it, yeah and i i think that's very well said i mean i, I you know i couldn't agree more and I, and i think that's really what's been my mission so to speak um you know because like i say i, I never wanted it to be about me I mean, because it's not. I mean, I, you know, you want to sit here and say, let's talk about my record of this or that. It's nothing, man. I mean, you know, I'm, I'm not Daniel Boone, never claimed to be. But I mean, but, but you know, I've been out there since I've been a kid. And, uh, 
Um, and, you know, I've done a few things, but nothing, you know, there's millions of people, you know, that have done more than that than I have in that regard. And, and again, I salute them, you know. Mm-hmm. I mean, I know guys that, and I, I, I think this is super cool. I mean, I got a guy that's going to do some painting for me here in a couple of weeks that, you know, he runs his own painting company and, and uh, uh, you know, he shuts down from training season until January and works hard the rest of the year so he can he can hunt every day of the season. You know, Dan Luke up in, in Vermont, I mean, that guy, you know, he goes, gosh, three, four hundred days a year. Oh, that's not, there's not, there's not that many days <laughs> in a year, but uh, <laughs> that's what it feels like. <laughs> but, but I mean, yeah, but I mean, but he is, and, and he, and he's an older guy. And I mean, so guys like that, man, I got nothing but respect for him. You know I mean? That they found what they wanted to do and they've put, you know, they, they've created lives where they could take care of their families and still do what they wanted to do. And they've got great dogs and they've got, you know, great hunting going on. And I mean, and that, that, those guys are heroes, man. I mean, I, I I got nothing but respect for them. I'm not I'm not in their league, not even close. Uh, but you know, but I feel like there's other things I can do and uh, and try to do, and hopefully that makes a difference. Oh, I think the balance that you've had to show in your life, I mean, just to get this far, because I I think well, all of us here are parents, and we've all had a career, you know just the day-to-day grind and then muster together every bit of spare bit of energy you have to go out hunting one night and then be up in the morning to help, you know, get livestock taken care of or get kids ready. You know, it's, it's amazing. People don't understand there are only 24 hours in a day, no matter how hard I try to stretch those things, you can't get more hours. And something's going to, you know, and and at the end of the day, I mean, no matter how superhuman you are, just like you're saying, I mean, you've got to, something's got to give somewhere, you know, Mm -hmm. you've got to, if you're going to have any sort of balance, I mean, now, I mean, I know people who have, 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 have just said, Hey, you know, I'm not going to have a family. I'm not going to have, you know, I'll work only when I have to. And, and, you know, running dogs is going to be my life. And, and, Mm -hmm. you know, again, that's a choice they made. and, and you know, and God bless them, uh, you know, but that's just something I couldn't do, you know, and, uh, yeah. um, and so, I mean, so, it, and so it's just, you know, and, and again, that's not being critical of them in the least. I mean, they made, they made the decision that was right for them. that was best for them and, and, and good for them. You know, um, you never hear me criticize them. I mean, priorities change in life, times and season for everything. Yeah. You know, it's, sure. uh, Bear needs to do an episode with my wife. She'll hear you'll hear all about <laughs> balance and how bad I sucked at it for a long time. Send me but, your contact information. Yeah, right. No, but it's I mean it's the it's it's all about figuring it out and you know as you go and I, I was I was real lucky when I was right in that my son it was just about a year and a half and I had you know was making some money and my dog team I, this is talking about the huskies i was they were starting to look kind of like what i wanted them to and i was starting to kind of think in the terms of i think with a, with some time and some energy we could start being fairly competitive here and i voiced mm. that opinion and i got a tap on my shoulder and turned around and it was it was norway's 
best dog musher historically. He's, he's the best dog musher that's ever come out of Norway. Um, wow. You know, he he was like, you know, at, at that point he was about he was approaching sixty. His kids were grown, and he was like, you know, I heard what you said, and I, I have a lot of respect for that. But just remember, I won that. I won my last race a year ago after my kids were grown he said i would give up those other races to have the time that i lost with my kids being competitive yeah he said i'm not telling you what you should do but just keep that in mind and that that sort of ate at me for about eight months and i was like you know what i just can't probably right (laughs) he's probably right man you know i'm gonna i'm gonna come back oh that's great advice it really was and it ended up work. It, it ended up being this thing where other things happened that kept me, so that it, other things happened so that 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 ship sailed. In the meantime, that doors ship, got closed. <laughs> yeah, for you know, in in ways that I, I had not expected to happen. But you know, those doors closed, and it opened up the opportunity for me to get into hounds and and do you know explore other interests and things like that. So I lost my opportunity to be that hyper competitive or try to be that hyper competitive dog musher, but I still don't regret it looking back on all of the good times that I've had with my kids, you know? No. And, and I, and I think, you know, it's, it's, it's interesting to me how things just like that, that kind of, you know, serendipitous moment happens, mm-hmm. you know, where, what are the odds that guy being behind you being who he was and him tapping you on the shoulder and sure. offering you that sort of advice that maybe you wouldn't have taken from somebody else, you know? Right. Uh, obviously, coming from somebody else that you're going to listen to a lot more closely, and uh, uh, so I mean, I think it, it's funny how things happen because I mean, uh, there's been multiple times in my life where you know, lost jobs through no fault of my own, or or things have changed for whatever reason, and you just think, oh my God, what am I going to do? But you know, something tends to kind of work out. I mean, it's interesting, Barry. You'll appreciate this. And I can't pronounce the, the, the breed of bird, but uh, I had a piece of mail that got taken to the put, placed in the wrong post office box, and the, the the piece of mail didn't have a return address on it. But, so all the guy who got the, the piece of mail got was just my name, PO box address, and it was his PO box. So okay. he, of course, he lived here in town, and he. He uh, he just does a Google search of me and finds my website and stuff and sees that I've got interest in dogs and plot dogs and so on and so forth. So anyway, he sends me an email and says, hey, look, I've got this piece of mail. Uh, I want to get it back to you. Uh, it was sent in the wrong P.O. box. So anyway, long story longer, go meet this guy to get my piece of mail. And it turns out he's a cancer doctor here in town. And he goes to Sweden every year hunting and he's got some really beautiful breed of bird dog that's uh i've never i can't even pronounce the breed of the dog but just it looks like kind of like a a retriever of some sort but just a beautiful beautiful dog and they go hunt these birds in sweden and the birds are like grouse here but my god they're just about the size of an eagle i mean they're huge oh yeah yeah the 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 capercaillies yeah Yes, yes, yes. That's it. That's it. Yep. And so anyway, he starts. 
tell me all these stories about this caper Kelly and show him these pictures and I go over to his office and his dog's there and you know as you know so often happens when you meet somebody of kindred spirit it's like wow man I mean you know this isn't a plot ham but it's a hunting dog and I want to learn more about it and it's cool and and I've never heard about these birds before and he's telling me all about that and you know and all that happens because the wrong piece of mail got put in the wrong mailbox you know and so now <laughs> yeah this guy and me are friends yeah. And, you know, talking about doing stuff together and all kinds of stuff, you know, so it's kind of neat how things like that turn out sometimes. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. I've, uh, some of the best things in my life I can sort of trace back to that one, that one stupid thing. I met my wife. I was supposed to have a day off. Be careful before you get in trouble here, Bear, because you said stupid thing and then met your wife. (laughs) Uh, yeah, I, I met meeting my wife was not the stupid thing. It was the great thing that happened because of a stupid thing. I had been working a ton and I had actually worked 18 days in a stretch without a day off. And on the day I was supposed to have off, they were like, we need you to drive this copy maker over to our other office three hours away. And I was like, are you guys kidding me? Oh man. I was supposed to have a day off. And I had this moment where I was like, I could, uh, where I really considered making a stink. You know, it was like, I, I, I might actually refuse to do this. And I was like, okay I'll, I'll do it i drove down there and the person who took the coffee the copy maker was my wife my future wife there you go future, there you go future just yeah. uh yeah but i am all about the small things man well and those things all add yeah. up because you think you know opportunities like we're talking about here that you don't know when they're coming you don't know when that door is going to be open when the door is going to be closed nope and it's not like you once an opportunity, always an opportunity. So I think guys like Bob and, you know, Bear, all of us try to capitalize on those opportunities to whatever capacity we can, you know, like Mm -hmm. these podcasts I've really enjoyed doing through, you know, the W podcast and now working with you on some of these because it, it's hard for me to find time to sit and write. Like, let's Mm -hmm. say Bob does. I couldn't crank that out. You know, I have in the past some small stuff, but this is something we can get on. And Bear and I have talked a lot about it. Um, it's about documenting. Same mm-hmm. with Brett over, you know, born 100 years too late and everybody For trying sure. to do this. It's just another media outlet that has not been yeah. super well received by some of the old timers, I would say. But now that they've heard a couple, uh, it's interesting how much easier it is to get people to, to be part of these with us because they see it as a showcase and they get nervous and really, we just want to have conversation that lost word, you know, just conversation. And it's awesome to get guys like yourself to sit down and and do this on a different platform. uh, Yeah. I I couldn't agree more. And I think, you know, truth of the matter is it's a lot easier to do this type of thing than it is to, than to read sometimes too with some people you know I'm, I'm an avid reader always have been but but some people aren't you know and 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 that's okay uh but but i think the other thing too is you know going back to the opportunities you just mentioned i think you're so so right about all that because but i think the thing is is that i think some people miss out on opportunities because they feel like they're too important or because they feel like they don't, they can't make the time because to me, it's like, if you send me an email, I'm going to answer it. 
Now, if you call me, I'm going to answer it. If I may, now you may call me, you may send me an email and say, hey, look, I want I want to talk with you on the phone. Can you talk? I may say, well, listen, how about just sending me an email and tell me what you want to talk about, and I'll give you a time when we can, or I'll just answer an email because I'm really tied up right now because I'm doing this or this or that. Sure. But I think the key thing here is, is you have to really open yourself up to try to listen to people and 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 not because you can't ever feel like you're too good to do that because I'm number one I'm not but number two there's always something to learn there's always something there's always some opportunity out there and you're not doing it for opportunities necessarily but you're doing it hopefully to help somebody but because you know <laughs> a whole lot of times you know sometimes you'll get these phone calls where all the guy wants to do is talk for an hour about how great he is and how great his dog is, you know, <laughs> uh, and you just kind of, you kind of got to suffer through it. But, but, but more times than not, it's people like you guys, you know, where it's, it's somebody who's, Hey, I want to, you know, get a, a, a stick carved to honor a friend of mine, a mentor, you know, man, I'm, that's, I'm honored to do something like that. You know, uh, or Bear is, is all the stuff he's done. I mean, I'm fascinated with stuff he's done in the sled dog world and now the stuff he's doing in the hunting dog world. So, you know, anything I can do to, you know, offer my perspective, and that's all it is, is my perspective. I've told Bear this multiple times in messages back and forth is, look, I'm just telling you this is what works for me. This may not work for you, and if you think it's BS, then, hey, don't use it, you know. Uh, right. not going to hurt my feelings. Right. Uh, but, uh, uh but I, I just think the more we can interact like that um, amongst ourselves and show each other that respect, the better off we are. Because I think that's the the big problem we have today in everything. I mean, whether it's politics, whether it's it's uh, dogs, it's like, man, put the ego, take the egos out of it. You know, try to try to talk to each other respectfully and learn from each other and support each other and not run each other down and. And just, you know, try to be positive. Yeah, for sure. It wasn't, who was it that said, there was some dog person that said, an ego is a terrible burden for a dog to bear. Who was that? Yeah, oh man, I, I, I don't know, but it's truer words were never spoken. Yeah, I mean, that's, that's, that's. Man, that's, it's the truth. Yeah, I mean, I couldn't agree more. Absolutely. Yeah. You know, and, and that's, that, that's, that's kind of part of what we're talking about here too, is, you know, we, we want to document, we want to be able to get the information and the, and the, and the, the knowledge out there, you know, without beating our own drums at the same time. You know, I'm, I'm not going to lie to you. I, I really don't like listening to the sound of my own voice. <laughs> I listen back on these oh, podcasts and I'm like, man, is that what I sound like? And, but I, you know, I, it's, I'm the same way. It's what, what, what I love about it is that, you get you can ask people the same question and you're going to get a different answer from every single person and just being able to document some of that knowledge is to me so such a great way to use my time you know in a, in a i couldn't agree more uh much much more useful to me in, in my mind anyway than and i'm not you know i'm not pointing at any one person but you know, like the Instagram influencers and the social media influencers where they're, they're, maybe they're sharing their lifestyle, but most of what I'm seeing is the, hey, look at me. 
self look at what I'm doing. Look at what I'm doing, and I'm making money doing it. You know, right. every time I get that like or every time I get that retweet or whatever, then that's money in my pocket, you know. And, and I mean, you know, good. I mean, don't get me wrong. One of the things that never ceases to amaze me is people who seem to resent. I mean, you know, number one, like I said before, I don't make a living writing books. I don't make a living writing, doing programs. I don't make a living selling dogs. I tell you what, though, I wish I could. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and if I did, I wouldn't apologize for it. Right. Uh, I mean, I got friends that are professional hunting guides and make a living doing what they love, and I'm I'm happy for them, man. But I see other people run them down. Oh, he's not a good guide. He can't do that. I'm like, well, hell, he's making a living at it. Right. You know? So, I mean, he must be doing something right, you know? Now, I'm not making a living at it, so I must not not be doing something right. (laughs) But but all I'm saying is, is, you know, I never did it to make a living. Didn't start out to make a living. I right. did it because I was passionate about it, because I, I cared about it. And I think, just like you guys do, and I think that's the difference between people like you guys and and hopefully me than these Instagram influencers and other people like that, because um, it's all about self-promotion and, and, and bragging on themselves. And you're not doing that. Neither one of you guys are doing that. I'm certainly not doing that. And, and I don't think... But I mean, but again, the point I'm trying to make here, and I'm getting talking in a circle. I apologize. Is that if somebody can make a living and do, can make a living doing it the right way, man, I support them. Don't 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 right. beat it's them down. Them. I mean, if you can go out and if you can go out and start your own hunting magazine and and uh, and promote the sport, good for you, man. If you can be a guide, great. If you can go out, if you can do festivals and programs or whatever and make a living doing it, man, that's good. Right. I mean, you're doing, you're doing mm-hmm. a, you know, you're doing a, uh, a service for the sport. You're doing a service for the breed and you're able to make a living doing it. Hey, that's the best of both worlds. So God bless you. But, but, you know, most of us can't. And so that's where, you know, that balance has got to come in that we talked about before, but, uh, I don't certainly don't resent anybody that can that can make a living doing something like this as long as they're making a living doing it right. If they're if it was just mm-hmm. about promoting themselves and bragging on themselves, and no, I don't I don't want any part of that. But sure. you know, if you're a great hunting guide or or you're doing stuff some of the stuff like you guys are doing and podcast and that sort of thing, and if that turns into something else and you know where you could do something with it, you know, great, man, that's awesome. Yeah, I'm moonlighting right now. I got to start working about an hour, hour and a half. <laughs> it's funny because like those outfitters and, and guides, man, and, and same with anybody really active in the dog world. I mean, it is dog eat dog. Uh, I oh, mean, yeah. when you oh, hit yeah. a certain level, I mean, we showed for years, my wife and I did, um, and it was pure ego. I, I mean, I'll be honest about yep. that right up front is I got lucky enough and was blessed to meet uh, a really reputable breeder. And we, we actually did a cross together and I lucked out and, you know, we took one of the dogs to, we took select at Yukonuba one year. Um, 
number one. What breed was this, Jason? It was in the blue ticks. Okay. Yeah, cool. Yeah, yep. I think it was 2014. We had the number one all systems dog and then went select at Ukanuba. And we missed our shot at Westminster just because of family issues. We just couldn't make it to the show. But it was um <clears throat> it's interesting how fast things can shift from being involved and trying to, you know, being really fired up to making that ego shift. Mm. Uh yeah. You start yeah. winning and you start kind of putting it all on you and then you realize I didn't make that dog. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, but 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 and I get that there has to be some, but I I just wanted to point out something real quick, if I may, that that okay. you know what you're talking about there is something I always find interesting too. Um, it seems that all too often people want to segregate things in terms of well, show dogs no good, you know, mm-hmm. show dog hurts the hunting dog world, or the show dog people say hunter hunting dogs hurt the show dog world. I mean that's a bunch of BS. I mean I'm all for all <laughs> of it. If you can get out there and get, if, you know, if you're promoting, ethically promoting things the right way, whether it's a show dog, whether it's a hunting dog, whether it's both, and a lot of times it is both, uh, then great. You know, I mean, uh, it shouldn't be any of this, you know, I'm going to look down on you because you're doing something that I don't, I mean, I've never, I've never had a dog on a bench, probably never will, but I certainly support people that do, you right. know, um, and and I, I I just think that that's one thing that we just continually do is berate and tear down people who do something that we don't do. Oh, exactly. As if that's hurting us and what, you know, and it's just not. Yeah. And that's kind of where I was headed with that is it's, you cannot believe the amount of backlash or the things you learn about yourself behind your back once you're successful at something, whether you lucked out or you worked your butt off. I mean, success brings... I guess a certain amount of uh, haters out of the closet, you know. Oh, and trust me, I've got more than my share. That's no doubt about that. <laughs> so, I mean, and, and you know, and and early on, I, I foolishly thought that that I could, you know, that if I could convert anybody, as long as I as long as I gave you facts, as long as I provided uh, verification or or substantiation of, of of whatever argument I was making whether it be written documentation or, or, or photographs or both, you know, I always felt like, well, gosh, people are just, boy, they'll just follow me like the Pied Piper and go, heck yeah, that's right. But that's just not how it works, you know? And for the longest time, I really, really struggled with that because I took it personal, man. I mean, you know, I come from a background of, you know, I worked in bars and stuff when I was in college and, you know, fought, competitively in, in martial arts and you know man I'm just like you know hey, you want to fight we'll fight you know and 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 I'll get really mad about this type of thing you know and want to you know really confront people and argue and I'm like man you can't do that I mean it's it's not it's it just brings you down to their level and and it doesn't doesn't do anything but hurt everybody uh you just got to accept the fact that haters go to hate and <laughs> and you know Put the truth out there, and if people like it, I mean, I used to spend a lot of time on these message boards and on a lot of these different hunting websites, and I don't anymore because it's just not. If I spent, and I tell people this all the time, if, if the people who are on there berating everybody spend as much time in the woods or spend as much time 
documenting or writing books or writing stories or doing programs as they do knocking everybody else, the world would be a better place. <laughs> Far better. Uh, I don't. Have, I agree yeah. with that so much. Yeah. And I don't have the time. I mean, you know, we we keep talking about time and balance. I mean, you see these people who are just like literally must be staying on the internet. 24 seven. Well, what else are you doing with your life? Right. That's where I was going was the time. It's like, you know, these professional outfitters and documentarians like yourself, and we only have so much time. And when you can get rid of that yeah. white noise and actually, you know, get down to like, like this right here, I mean, you can accomplish a lot, you know, you, you can really can somebody yeah. versus, you know, all this white noise going on. And I mean, God, those guys, a lot of my customers are professional guides and outfitters and my hat comes off to all you guys for what you have to deal with sometimes because you, you know, your last name's plot. So obviously there's preconceived notions there, right, Bob? I mean, with a lot of people oh, every time. Yeah. I mean, it's just, and, and most of them are negative. I mean, and it's got nothing to do with me personally. It's people who've never met me, people who don't know me, people who know nothing about me, but it's just like, Boom, I know this, or yeah. these dogs are no good, or that's no good. That's, you know, I'm like, man, I'm just not even going to, you know, waste my time thinking about it. Anymore. The time and energy to it's break a, a, through. You, you've got to break through that to yeah. even get to a real conversation. And at some point, your time is better spent. Right. There's a, wants it to is. It in. There's a really yeah. well known I mean, got, uh, personality in the, in the hunting community. I'm not going to say his name, but. He, I registered here a little while ago that he must use about as much time answering trolls on his Instagram account mm -hmm. as he spends doing pretty much everything else he does combined. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it, it's like, yeah. gosh, I can't imagine doing that. I got, a, I got a phone call and I picked it up and it was a, it was a buddy of mine. And he's like, how are you doing? I was like, oh, I'm doing great. How are you doing? He's like, you hanging in there? And I was like, yeah. I'm I'm doing pretty well. Why? Why? He's like, I just imagine it must be tough. And I was like, what are you talking about? He's like, did you not read the, did you not read the posts on your wall? And I was like, no. He's like, it's like a couple days old. Where have you been? I was like, busy. Team. He's like, okay, yeah. you may not want to yeah. go and read that. <laughs> and I went on there and there was just, there was, there was a fairly detailed death threat uh, about, squirrel hunting i had asked a question about squirrel hunting I remember that <laughs> and that just got so that got so gnarly and i just remember like i sat down i read it and just started to laugh it was like man the time involved the time involved writing that and then i i just like i could not imagine spending any time formulating <laughs> a response it was like, well, especially when you get to live in their mind rent free, man. Like, it, at the right. end of the exactly. day, you do you. And <laughs> I can't imagine. I remember those days. And I am so glad you just let that stuff go as you mature and move on. And Oh, man. You've got to. I mean, stuff. it'll drive you crazy if you don't. And, and not to mention the time drain and, and time waste of doing that sort of thing, man. It's just, you know, and it's just, and no matter what you do, or, or, or in my case, anyway, I always felt like I was damned if I did and damned if I didn't, you know, if I, if I argued with them, then I would kick myself for wasting my time. Then if I didn't argue with them, I would kick myself going like, well, man, you can't let them get by with that, you know? And it, 
it just finally got to the point of just, you know, just ignore it, man. I mean, you know, the people who support you are going to support you. The people who don't are not going to. There's nothing you're going to do to change them. There's nothing you're going to do to convert them to your way of thinking. Right. Uh, if somebody wants to have an honest dialogue about anything, I'm always willing to do that. But, you know, only when, as long as it's respectful, as long as it's, it's positive. And when it, it stops being that, and I mean, honestly, I wouldn't even have any social media platforms were it not for programs and books, you know, because I mean, yeah. and I've got most of the message stuff just basically turned off to right. where, you know, if you want to send me a private message, you can, but if you're going to sit there and go on anything that I've got and just blast me for the world to see, well, you know, you can do that on your own site, but you're not going to do it on mine. Right. <laughs> um, so, uh, so, you know, it's just, it just, but yeah, it's, it's, I don't know. It's, 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 it's like I said, it, it's, you get to the point where like we're doing now, you can laugh about it and, and you're better off when you can. But boy, I tell you what, it, for a while there, early on, it, it about drove me crazy because I was just like, I would get so mad and just so, you know, I mean, I'd get on different, you know, let me tell you something, pal, you don't live but about 45 minutes from me. I'll be over there in a minute, you know, that sort of stuff, you know. You know, you just can't do that. You can't do that, you know. It's just, no. it's just it, doesn't, it doesn't help anybody. It's well, true. But, I mean, the thing is, is what I appreciate about what we're doing, you know, here, and and not just here, but like across the whole platform. I mean, there are lots of other Hound podcasts out there. There are guys that pave the way, you know. It's Mm -hmm. just bringing something new and positive. Because there are so many people out there seeking this information. I mean, or Bob, you wouldn't sell any books, right? People want to hear about this. They want to hear the stories. They want to, yeah. they want to be part of it. And I'm pretty sure you wouldn't spend all that time writing for Full Cry if people weren't actively seeking it. You know, there is that sponge out there, yeah. and it's focusing our efforts to give them the fuel to just keep going. And hopefully someday we can pass the torch in my opinion, even more than just the hunting, like actually turning the dog loose is fantastic. But without guys like Bob yeah. and several others, I mean, we've got to pass on the historical side of it and we've got to pass on the lineage. And I think that's the most important. I think that's the difference between what, what you know, Bob, uh, what you've done reading, writing these books and what it, we see on social media is I kind of look at it as two different things. You know, when, when, you, when you write a book and you get a book like that published, you're doing something that's, that, that's permanent. Mm-hmm. That's, gonna, right. that's always going to be accessible to people. That is going to be, as time goes by, that's going to become a more and more important. At it. it's, gonna inc- its value is going to increase as time goes by, whereas somebody who is on social media or something like that, you know, that, that, that's like watching a, that's like watching a river, you know, by the time you've looked yeah. at it, it's already old news and it's gone. It has no meaning whatsoever after a fairly short amount of time. A few days. Whereas, yeah, <laughs> whereas it's gone. a book or something like that, like what you're doing is only going to increase. Its value is only going to increase, not just to, not just to people who are interested in it, but who, but for people who are actually in the sport you know uh, 
wanting information. Well, I can tell you my five-year-old and my three-year-old both have copies of Strike and Stay on my bookshelf here. I mean, to give you an idea of like that, that's the importance, you know, is it is generational. Well, and, and, and that, that right there in and of itself is why I do what I do. Because when I hear, hear people tell me that, um, it means the world to me. I'll give you a, a real quick story. Um, I was doing a book fair one time and a lady came up and she bought literally a stack of books. I mean, I'm talking about, she bought like two or three of each all five of the titles I had that for sale at that time. And of course I was, you know, obviously glad she bought them, but, um, I said, well, why are you buying so many of these books? You know I mean? I'm glad you are, but you mind me asking, <laughs> you get them for gifts or, you know, or what? And she goes, no, she said, I'm the, um, Jackson County librarian. And she said, uh, your books are the only thing that, really seems to trigger young boys to read and wow. she said uh wow. and girls too for that matter but 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 she said you know it's really been a turning point of getting them to not only read your books but then in turn reading other stuff because they see that there's actually things out there that are interesting they interest them you know and i thought wow you just gave me the greatest compliment ever you know and um and i've had i've had people which this is kind of scary in a way i've had people come to me and say well, you know, your book and the Bible is the only two books I've ever read. And I'm like, oh, okay. <laughs> no pressure. <laughs> yeah, but, but I mean, but, 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 uh, but I mean, you know, on one hand, that's like a really cool compliment and certainly don't compare my book to the Bible in any, straight, in any way, shape or form. But right. it's also kind of scary to think that, you know, that's the only thing you've ever read in your whole life. I mean, you know, I mean, uh, because that's the other thing that's kind of funny, and 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 I don't want this to sound self-promoting because I don't mean for it to be, but you know you wouldn't believe you know Strike and Stay came out in 2007, and that's 13, 14 years ago now, mm-hmm. and uh, uh, but you you go to all these different Facebook pages and social media platforms of hundreds of I love my plot hound site type things, which are all you know great. Uh, but you know, I love everything about the plot hound. I read everything there is about it. I want to know everything about it. Well, have you read this book? No. Well, maybe you ought to. You might want to. You know, I, I don't say that. You know, and, and, and it's like, well, is it new? No, it's been out since 2007. You know, oh, well, I've been meaning to do that, but I just hadn't, but I read everything. It's, 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 you know, there's nothing about the breed I don't know about. Well, you know, then. Again, not because it's my, and, and I never get on there and say that because I'm just like, you know, it's like, again, it sounds like I'm being, you know, self-promoting, but right. I'm like, how can you say stuff like that? I mean, you can do a Google search. If you really are that serious about learning, you either A, don't believe there's any credibility to what I'm doing, or B, you just don't want to read, or C, you're just saying that you do care and you really don't, you know what I mean? So it's like, if you really do care take the time to and whether it's my stuff or somebody else's you know take the time to research it take the time to, to do a little bit of homework and learn a little bit you know i mean because um that's the only way you're going to learn i mean and that's, that, that, that's not true either stuff like this podcast are a great way to do it um blogs and other stuff you know there's there's a, a lot of good ways to do it but the one good thing about these books as bear noted earlier is 
they are for the most part permanent as long as they're being published. In my case, there was a stigma there for me when I first started writing that, you know, you didn't self-publish. You had to find a publisher to publish your book. And that's hard, man. I mean, that's real hard. And that's brutal. I got lucky. Yeah, I, I got lucky through George Ellison to who got me through his publisher and got me through my first proposal. And that, that company has published all six of my books. And, you know, when you publish with a publisher, you know, there's a higher degree of uh, accuracy required. I mean, they have editors and copy editors and Bayer knows all this from being in the publishing industry. I'm sure you do too, Jason. But, you know, they, they hold you to a higher standard. You know, I mean, mm-hmm. <laughs> strike and stay, I'll tell you this real quick. When the first draft I sent in strike and stay was 600 pages. And I thought, <laughs> stupidly wow. thought that, that, you know, the more information I give you, the more you want. And, and that's more value. And, of course, they told me right quick, no, no, no. Your contract is for about a 200-page book which is, I forget how many thousands of words, but, but, uh, that's what it is. So you, so you got to go back and edit all this down to that. So what you saw, the, the finished copies you guys have a strike and stay. The first draft of that book was like right at 600 pages. Wow. wow. <laughs> so, I mean, so, so that's the type of standard you have to live up to. And then ever, not only, you know, whatever you put in print, you have to be able to say that, you know, there's some degree of accuracy in that. and There's some degree of truth in that. If there's not, then they won't publish it. Right. You know, they'll, they'll require you to provide you know, resources and bibliographical resources and, and, and facts checkers to, to do that sort of thing. So, mm-hmm. so that's one thing I t- do take a great deal of pride in is that being working with a publisher can be a real pain in the butt. And nowadays, it's much easier to self-publish. You know, there's a, a lot of great self-publishing companies out there now that really do good good work. Uh, but uh, if you're working with a publisher where you have to submit a proposal and they have to approve it, and it has to meet a certain market segment, mm-hmm. uh, you have to you got to do it right. Absolutely, there's a there's a certain standard that needs to be met. That is. Uh it's that's it's not easy to meet you know it's a, lot it's, of pressure. Uh, it's a lot of pressure but it's also it's a you're expected to deliver something of a of a certain quality and if you can't then it's it's not like oh well okay we'll do it anyway like that's the end of the road for you if you can't deliver yeah if you can't deliver quality yeah. quality information and be able to quote your sources you're done you're done and and you've got to have people. I mean, you can you can put out the best written, most accurate, entertaining piece of work that anybody's ever done on any subject. But if nobody buys it, they're not going to do a second one. <laughs> no. Yeah. So, so so while I've never made a living at doing you know writing, you know my books have sold well enough to where they want me to continue writing on other topics. Well. Basically, it, it kind of all kind of comes back around the plot hound in one form or fashion. But, but, uh, but you know, but fortunately for me, there's been enough interest uh, that that people 
you know, have continued to show interest in that sort of thing. And right. of course, now the new book is completely different. Topic. I was just going to say, but, yeah, um, you've actually, uh, speaking of speaking of it all going back to the Flathound, your new book doesn't go back to it at all, does it? Well, I always find a way to somehow tie it back in a little bit. But for the most part, no. Um, uh, it's my, my son, and Jacob, is a, a, an avid train buff and it's, loves loves trains more than anything in life has since he was a little could walk okay. and um, he became fascinated with the, the great smoky mountains railroad western north carolina railroad which is a, a stretch of railroad that runs from old fort north carolina to to murphy north carolina only 128 miles but it took longer to build that stretch of railroad 128 miles from 1855 to 1891 it took longer to build that stretch of railroad than it did to build the entire transcontinental railroad. Whoa. And more people were killed. More people were killed building it because they used strictly convict labor and it was just a brutal, brutal process. So it's, it's just a remarkable story that I had no idea about until he kind of exposed me to it. Of course, my, you know, my uncle ran the railroad depot in Bryson city. So I knew about the railroad. My grandpa was a railroad guy, but, but, I didn't, you know, this this was really a good story, and and then of course, but the plot hound came back into it because the the railroad actually opened up Western North Carolina for business. Asheville now is a, a you know one of the largest cities, the largest city in Western North Carolina, and kind of like the uh, you know really a cosmopolitan type city in in Western North Carolina or anywhere in North Carolina, but. But you know, in the early 1900s, before the railroad, as the railroad was coming through, it was uh, I think it had 1,100 people, and there was no there was no access to to Western North Carolina except by basically wagon roads. And so, you know, the Branch Rickey hunt in 1935, he came in on a train to Asheville and all the way into Proctor and and uh, Bryson City in that area, and. and Right. And drove a car then over to, to, to Proctor to the Hazel Creek Lodge. And so I did, I was able to tie a little bit about that back into the book because <laughs> it was the impact that the, the trains had on the economy too, of bringing in tourists and bringing in freight and import and exporting goods, that sort of thing. So, so I always, always try to find a way to bring it back in there, but, but this was mostly, this was mostly railroad related. That's, and, that's and excellent. It was a lot of fun to do for him. It's a great story, though. Where where can people get your get your book? Like, obviously, they're available many different places. You can get them on W. You can get them on on Amazon, both in in paperback or in in uh, paper form, and and on the Kindle. Uh, most of them, anyway. Um, but where where's the best place for you for people to buy your books? Well, there's there's several different venues. Whatever anybody feels more comfortable doing. Um, as you said, pretty much any online outlet, Amazon, Barnes and Noble, any online book retailer uh, can can provide them for you. All, all of them. Mm. Uh, then you've got independent bookstores like here in Jackson County. City Lights Books is a great bookstore in Silva, North Carolina. Blue Ridge Books is a great bookstore over in Waynesville, and they do online sales and, and they have signed copies of my books and they can ship them to you if you want to do that. Okay. And then my publisher, the history press out of Charleston, South Carolina, you can order them directly from them. Or if you want to order directly from me, you can go to my website, 
send me an email, www.bobplot.com, and you can uh, send me an email, and I can send you a signed copy if uh, you want to get one directly from me. So uh, there's... If you want one of these books, there's no excuse for you not to have one. <laughs> <laughs> I agree. Uh, uh, that's the that you know that's, that's about as much self promotion as I'm as I can do right there. But uh, but yeah, there's um, you know and of course I've got two book Facebook pages and uh, and got the website. So like I say, I've got the email on, on both those. So anybody wants to reach out to me, my email address is in the little cry articles ever. American Cooner articles every month, and so pretty easy to get a hold of. If anybody has any uh, questions or uh, wants to order books, or and I mean, I'll be honest with you, a lot of times you can get the books a little bit cheaper online than you can if you order them directly from me. Because again, common misconception: I have to buy my own books from the publisher <laughs> to resell them. Yep. So, uh, so uh, you know, so. Uh, uh, I've got to, you know, make my money back on that too. So, right. uh, and what you, if somebody goes in the store and buys a book and I, and I hope they do because I appreciate they do, but if, if they pay $22 or $19 or whatever the retail price for the, 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 the book is in the store, uh, I get $1 out of that. That's a pretty good royalty too, huh? <laughs> Oh yeah, man! I'll make you rich on it. <laughs> hold, hold off, the haters out there. One dollar. Yeah. yeah, one dollar, and they pay that twice a year. Well, that just shows, you know, the dedication so, uh, and and the importance yeah, that this was absolutely. to you. You know, it was obviously not money motivated. You know, it's awesome that all of this is out there and available. Right. Well, I mean, you could say that the first the first book. You know, something every, anybody can write one book and expect to make it rich. But once once you've got once you've got six of them out there, I guess you kind of uh, you got to assume you're doing it for other reasons than uh, yeah. <laughs> the uh, luxurious well, bank account, right? And, well, and that too, and and the other thing too is is and you guys both know this, but a lot of people don't. A lot of people assume that if you're writing a book, they pay you to write the book. They don't. No. Not unless your name is John Grisham or Stephen King or somebody like that. I mean, if you're some New York Times best-selling author, yeah, they give you an advance royalty check to write one. But for the publishers like that do my books, they basically send you a contract and say the book's got to be done a year from the day, and you'll get a dollar per book royalty and uh, get it done. Mm-hmm. They don't get any advance money. Mm-hmm. They don't pay anything. You know, they they help you with marketing. They help you with with promoting it a little bit, but, uh, but that's it, you know? I mean, so it's not like, uh, you're getting a, you know, $10,000 advance check to, to write something. Mm. You don't get a penny. I mean, I've never made a penny off a book other than what I've sold. Mm -hmm. Right. And royalties for a book are minimal. Uh, so I can make a, you know, I'm not going to lie. I can make a little bit more because if I buy a book myself, if you, if you send me a, if you send me a letter and say, "Hey, I want to buy a book from you," then I can I can charge you the same price the bookstore does, and I can make the same type of profit the bookstore does. Mm-hmm. But it, you know, but I've got but I've got to pay the same price that the bookstore pays for it too. Right. So uh, so so you know so that's so that again that's not again not complaining. If I was doing it for the money, I would have stopped doing it a long time ago. But uh, but it's just it's just a 
you know, I appreciate the opportunity to to let people know this because you know there is that common misconception that well, if you write a book, that must be all you do, and yes. you get paid big money for doing it because it's just not true. No, that uh, that that understatement. That's the truth. Yeah, that's understood. <laughs> so looking well, back, I, I mean, how long have you been? Because we keep talking about the book, but I know Bear's going to have to. You got kids. I got. Yeah, kids I've got to go get kids school. here soon. I wish I could. I could sit here all day. And talk I know. To you too. But <laughs> I wanted to to touch on the articles because how long have you been writing for Full Cry? Uh gosh, it's a long time, people. <laughs> yeah, it's 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 getting close to twenty years now. Fourteen, fifteen, twenty years, something like that. I mean, it goes back. Well, it, it, it about same time the book came out i started throwing articles out there at them and and uh and at first they were kind of reluctant and then they got feedback from it and i think i kind of tend to be you know i worked in the racing industry for a while i think i kind of tend to be like some of the race car drivers people either either like me or they hated me, but either way they bought the magazine to read the article, you know, so, <laughs> so I think, so I think, uh, uh, that kind of, I think, I think that kind of, you know, convinced Terry Walker that maybe I'll let this guy write, you know, as much as he wants to, whenever he wants to. And, and I got to give Terry credit, man. I mean, he, you know, he's been a great guy to work with and he, he just like, Hey, you know, turn it in as much as you want to write, if you feel like doing 3000 words, 2000 words, 1500 words this month, which I never do. It's always much longer than that. Or if you want to do 10,000, do 10,000. And, and invariably it, by the time I talk about everybody that's contacted me and whatever else I want to talk about for that particular month, it, it ends up being a whole lot longer than I anticipated, probably longer than some people want it to be. But, uh, but I've been doing it for a long time, yeah. Probably I've been at least fourteen years. Have you considered putting it into a, a book form, uh, or a, sort of a compilation of uh, short, short stories. stories, articles, that kind of thing? Uh, you know, have not. Um, Frank Meffin was a great, great friend of mine, and of course wrote for a, a publication from early nineteen fifties up till his death, and the early 2000s and uh, and we continue the Frank Meffin award today mm-hmm. for or the Meffin award mm-hmm. is honored today for him mm-hmm. but uh, he he actually talked about doing something like that one time but never did uh, it probably would you know probably wouldn't be a bad idea it would have to be edited down a lot because you know I've kind of gotten comfortable with the format now where it's kind of every month is sort of you know, we start out with just kind of general topics and then talk about everybody that's written or sent me or called and, and mm-hmm. try to list everybody. And then I try to go into whatever the topic is I want to talk about for the the, the month, which is usually historical related because I feel like that, number one, people need to understand that history. And, and again, it's not about me. I, you know, I never want this to be like, let me tell you about this hunt I just came off of last week. You know what I mean? Some people want to hear that sort of stuff but i think more people want to hear about history and and i'm and just like you said you don't like hearing your voice i don't like hearing me talk about how many bears i treat or 
or didn't tree or kill or whatever, you know. I mean, it's right. That just, just, you know, not me. Yeah. That makes sense. Well, I I would love to sit here for the rest of the day, and it kills me to have to do it. But I actually need to go and get some kids from school here. I gotta send two off. <laughs> uh, it's been my pleasure, guys. I, a lot of time stuff. Like oh this. my gosh, Bob, this has been. What were you saying? Sorry. I was just gonna say a lot of times stuff like I mean, I've done several podcasts, and I can't say that any of them have been bad as far as uh, painful or anything, but. Uh, some of them are more enjoyable than others, and this was certainly one of those. I mean, I, 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 I got nothing but respect for both you guys and consider you both friends and appreciate the opportunity to to have this platform and, and more importantly, appreciate what you guys do. Oh, the feeling is more than mutual, Bob. Absolutely. We'll have you back, Bob. Anytime you want to come, <laughs> you're more than welcome because this is uh... – you know, working with Bear, this is a little different podcast. You know, I do the W podcast yeah. with Buddy and our, our guests, and it's a little different. It's a different feel, you know, and I like sitting down. Bear and I have lots of conversations, even being literally worlds apart. Mm. And it's it's really fun to kind of hit on that different, I don't even want to say a different level. It's just different, you know, different a different tone. feel, different yeah. tone. Vibe. And we knew that you'd be be perfect so anytime you want to come back you just let us know please do yeah um let me know i mean i'm 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 you know like i said you guys are friends man anyway anything i can do to help y'all i'm here for you well we appreciate it appreciate that all right guys i appreciate you guys both so much thank you all right well you have a great day bob y'all too thanks again stay in touch we will do that see you later bye-bye Man, I love that sound.